are listening to the Strong Towers Podcast, a podcast where all topics are on the table, from brotherhood and faith, culture and wisdom. So pull up a chair and join us as we talk about the things that build us up and make us strong. Welcome back to the Strong Towers episode. This is John Ackerman with me as always, Mike Lara, Tom Edwards, and we're also joined today by our good friend Alex Voorhees. Uh, we're continuing this conversation that we started last week on discomfort. And if you did not catch that, you probably need to go back and listen to that one first. Otherwise, some of what we're going to talk about today isn't going to make a whole lot of sense. Um, the Cliff Notes version was, you know, we did a challenge series a, way, a ways back, and it was really good for us. You know, Identifying areas that we wanted to grow in, develop in, kind of push ourselves um, just to levels that we, we were probably slacking on. And I mean, it's, it's been phenomenal. Uh, we, we've seen noticeable change physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. It's just, it's been a really good thing for us to push into over the last year. But we were having this conversation last week around this idea of discomfort and differentiating that from challenge a little bit, where challenge feels like, you know, sort of a known quantity and you're trying to push yourself past your usual limits. But discomfort feels like the end's a little uncertain, the process is uncertain, uh, you're not even sure if you're equipped for this journey, but you know that somewhere in that direction lies something good, something worthwhile, something worth pursuing. And we had promised at the end of the last episode that while we don't necessarily have a whole bunch of answers here, we're at least aware of some categories where either we or people in general often feel not just a desire to be challenged, but often, frankly, feel really uncomfortable. That this is a place of not knowing what to do, how to do it, where to go. So we brought our friend Alex on, who not only has a professional background in finance, but also you know personal experience, life experience, like we all do. Now, Alex is a professional wealth advisor, and Alex is not going to be giving you free money tips. I believe he has a couple of disclaimers that may be forthcoming. They may or may not be involving Reddit. Um, I'm not you know, privy to that information. But um, one of the things that we wanted to talk about was really going past sort of the challenge of budgeting and saving and investment and things like that, and really push into the discomfort that many of us have around money. So Alex, thanks for being part of this conversation. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate uh, the invite back and also appreciate being the go-to uh, money guy for your guys' podcasts. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, John John brought up this subject and it, it piqued my interest. And at first I was a little bit confused, uh, you know, talking about the difference between challenge and discomfort, especially around money, because, you know, I guess my, my point was if you're challenging yourself by saving more, you're going to feel discomfort at some point along the road while you're challenging yourself. And he said, well, we've talked about it and framed it a little bit like what you said, the discomfort of not knowing what's yet to come um, and how a lot of it has to do with money beliefs and things like that. And it kind of got me thinking back towards the start of my career when none of this was in my you know, vision for what I might do in the future. I was just doing financial planning by the books. Um, and I, you know, I still do. It's the majority of my job. But I was I was telling my my little sister who at the time was studying psychology about 
all these different client situations that was going on. And she said, they need a psychologist, you know, like, like a lot of us do, honestly, you know, therapy is such a, a stigma, but a lot of us could benefit from it. And her point was therapy might actually help them make some of these more factual and financial planning based decisions. Um, become a reality. And it kind of struck me. She was like, what if we partner? I'll be the psychologist. You'll be the financial planner. We'll have a shop together. And I, I kind of uh, tossed it off as a crazy idea. And the more I, time I've spent in the profession, the more I've realized that that actually would not be a bad idea. And there's actually quite a number of practices that, that do that. Does that throw people when you sort of bring that angle in? Because I'd imagine most people would assume, I mean, I would assume, that you're going to be talking about budgeting and saving and investing and sort of these known quantities where I may not know all the best techniques, but I sort of know that if I follow that path, I'm probably going to get a better outcome than if I don't. So, so how do people respond when you sort of throw in this angle? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm a little bit of a chicken around the subject. Um, (laughs) I, I, I have a vision for down the road, me leading new relationships through, a process where, you know, we start the relationship with a lot of these conversations. Um, you know, what were your childhood beliefs around money? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit further about money scripts and things like that, um, that dictate a lot of decisions you make. But to be quite honest, I, I, I do a very soft approach and really just allow time to gain confidence. And it's usually when I've been working with someone for three or four years, that I might start start throwing in some of this. And it, it also allows me the time to see their behavior take shape, right? Someone can come in and say, you know, I, um, I'm saving 15% for retirement right now, right? Like they changed their election on their, you know, online form right before they came into the office so they would have the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> but after three years of working with them, you see that all, they're changing it all the time. And they're racking up credit card debt and they're lowering their 401k. And, and it seems like just a financial planning concept, but the reality is someone, someone like that is, is overspending. And so, and there's a money belief behind that, right? Why are you overspending? Why do you value objects today that you can buy versus providing for your family 20 or 30 years in the future? I don't necessarily think someone like that is on the wrong side of the table. I think, you know, we all have issues to work through. But you, you kind of need time to see those things happen again and again so that you have some sort of backing when you engage in those conversations. Yeah, and you had mentioned too, like someone that comes to you expecting the spreadsheets and the tips and the uh, you're going to help me do a better job in these places that I'm already trying to do some work in, um, they're going to experience discomfort when they follow your instructions, right. And maybe tighten the budget or whatever. Um, but I think we're talking about the, the bigger picture discomfort that a lot of us have around money. You know, it's it's just not an easy conversation for a lot of people to have for a lot of different reasons. Um, like you're talking about the, just the, the scripts that we bring into, um, how we've grown up with money and talked about money and dealt with money, how our families dealt with money. Um, you know, and, and so how do you start to unpack, 
some of that discomfort and, and a place that uh, sort of subconsciously makes us tense up and, and not want to go there. Um, how do you start to, you know, coax people out into those conversations to open up the, the deeper understanding of the way they see money? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right. So let, let's take a, a step back. So, so taking a step back and just kind of looking at those two differences, the, the, the challenge part is the, I'm going to save 15% cut, cut spending so that I can save for retirement, you know, some, sometime in the future, but it's not really discomfort in the sense that you guys are talking about where it, it, if you put away money consistently for 30 or 40 years, it, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be in good shape come retirement. Like one plus one for the most part equals two. I realize there's some variables, but for the most part, you can kind of do the math. The uncomfortable part is, is these beliefs around money. The, the, um, you know, for example, one money script that you might hear is, um, money corrupts people, right? So if I accumulate more money, eventually I'm going to become the type of person that I don't want to be. And that will lead you to do things to really just take money away from you. You'll, you'll save less. You'll maybe spend more. You'll give a lot away. You'll see a lot of people who appear to just be very generous, but they actually have these really deep seated money scripts going through their head. That's, I don't want to accumulate money. And, and the uncomfortable part is if you choose to engage with that, if you, and I'm, I, I will take you guys kind of through an exercise to uncover some of that a little bit later, but if you choose to engage with that and uncover what those are, um, you don't really know what the outcome is going to be, you know, you can imagine that, you know, being a more well-balanced person that can see both sides of a coin will be good. But you also know that uh, if you believe that money corrupts you and you have a community that really well respects you, what if I decide to go after and save money aggressively and not give every dime away? Yeah. Does my community not respect me? Will they not respect me in 10 or 15? There's a lot of unknowns, right? And so choosing to engage with that um, is, is very difficult. And so I, I think, you know, Tom, to answer your question, how do you begin to engage? It usually is a very surface level observation, right? Like, um, you know, I've, I think when I was on the podcast before I mentioned one of my clients who was giving money away over and over and over again to her children. And that's kind of a very surface level thing but it was to the detriment of her retirement. And so the, the probe kind of went into what is going on here? Like, why do you feel like you have to continue to give to your children, even though it like the inflection point was you're doing it to the detriment of yourself. Right. And so it was a very easy observation to make. And, you know, for her uh, sake, I'll go into the details, but it uncovered a lot of things about her marriage and past relationships and her upbringing, how she raised her children um, that made her feel like she had to give the money to her children. And, you know, it was a vow that she made that she was going to protect them over herself. Uh, so, yeah, usually it's very surface level, kind of what's coming to the surface and, and probing deeper into that. No, and I love the way you describe that, Alex. I think we've we've had conversations, um, and even if it's just that first question to try to dig in, right? And I think uh, after the last time you were on the show, you and I had some conversations, and 
trying to uncover some of the uncomfortableness that I've had with finances. And some of that was letting Janelle be part of not so much the decision making because she's always been a part of that, but part of the budgeting, right? And some of the, uh, I guess, uh, uh, false ideas that I had about money about, you know, hey, I'm the, I'm the man of the house and this is my responsibility to kind of, you know, handle this. And it was one of those questions where I think you you challenged me and, and kind of helped me get more comfortable with having more of these discussions. And even even to the point of saying, all right, Janelle, like, hey, this month, this is, you know, you take over or you start, you know, you start taking a little bit more um, responsibility when we come into the into the budgeting side of the house. And that was that was something that I I never knew that I had. It was just something that I thought it was more of the caregiver, the primary role, you know, the, the guy filling in that, you know, I hate to say it, machismo role, but that that, hey, I have to take care of my family. Uh, masculine identity that you helped me uncover with something simple as, "Hey, well, why do you why do you feel that way?" And so I, I love mm-hmm. the way that you you say you you have to ask these questions um, to discover these these uh, what do you what, money what do you call it money scripts what do you call it Yeah, money scripts. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a term that's thrown around a lot in our world. Uh, maybe not as much as much elsewhere, but yeah. I mean, I I struggle with that same thing with with Emily with my spouse and and having her be involved in the process and. Um, you know, the script that's going on in the back of my mind is if you, if you let go of control at all, it will all unravel, you know? Um, and so it's just like, you, you, you manage this, right? You control it. Um, let's not even tempt fate. Um, let's just know what we know. Alex, are there other money scripts that you see pop up, you know, more often than not? I'm, I'm sure there's a ton of variety, but just as people are listening to this and, and probably, in, you know, in some cases hearing it for the first time, because I had never heard of this till you and I started talking about it, um, you know, just to help them find themselves in their story a little bit. Are there are there a few themes that seem to pop up more often than not? Yeah, um, I actually want to to get your guys' opinion on this, because for for our generations, there's kind of two big money movements on either end of the spectrum. There's the YOLO uh, <laughs> you know, spend it while you got it type of thing. And then there's like the other side, the fire movement, right? Financial independence, retire early. And it's like, save, scrap every penny together, save everything you can save 50% or more of your income and retire early. And I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with either end of those equations. If the person has examined themselves and has you know thought through what what is leading to that extreme type of behavior um but if you haven't really engaged with those sort of money scripts like what what are behind those things um you know those are very two dangerous things and from my experience kind of looking at the surface they're just quite frankly excuses for you know living out of the truth of whatever money script so on, on the I'll, I'll even, you know, as a financial planner, you probably think I side more with the fire movement, but I, I don't really, because what I've noticed is a lot of people who push for that fire movement, it's just an excuse to save an obscene amount of money. And they don't actually plan to retire when they're 40 or 50, 40 or 50 comes around and they just keep working. And so it was just something that they could say, oh, well, I'm planning on retiring down the road, but really it was a money script of money protects me. I'll never have enough that was fooling that. And so I'm curious, what are what's your guys' opinion on, on either end of those two, those two spectrums? Well, the one kind of reminds me of almost that 
that great depression era mindset that, you know, I saw the effects in, in my grandparents who were children of that time period, you know, that's sort of the, there's never going to be enough hard times are coming that, you know, there can't be any enjoyment now because there's probably going to be deprivation and heartache later. And, and I feel like I definitely got a little bit of that just, you know, from them through my parents to me of, you know, don't be a spender, right? You know, don't necessarily hoard everything, but if push comes to shove, you know, buy cheap, don't buy quality. Um, don't buy quantity unless you've got, you know, a big family and have to shop at Costco, you know, just minimize your expenses and you're probably never going to have enough. Um, and so, I mean, I definitely resonate a little bit more with, with that extreme than the other, but it was interesting just because of the life that I got to live. And I've talked about this on the podcast before a little bit, you know, there was a stretch in my life where we were living in a trailer park and we had very, very little. But then we had a little bit, uh, a bit of a life shift. Um, and so when one of my parents remarried, we remarried into a pretty decent financial situation. And all of a sudden things changed to, wait, we can have that. Like we, and it's not like, you know, we were living in Beverly Hills or anything, but you know, things had shifted a fair amount where the price tag still mattered, but it mattered a lot less. And so in my teen years in particular, there was a short stretch where it was like, I get to have nice things. I want to have more nice things. This is, this is amazing. Almost like a, I have to make up for lost time kind of thing. And I like the materialism in me skyrocketed simply because there was opportunity now. And, and so I, I, I get both ends of the spectrum, just again, from sort of the, the things that got passed down to me and the things that I experienced growing up. So yeah, I get it. And I think it's interesting, John, you bring up the, um, the kind of generational experience and what leads into those things. You know, I feel like, um, Alex, what you're describing is, is kind of the, the bookends of the, the millennial financial experience, right. Uh, Of the, uh, to stereotype obviously, but like the older millennials, uh, were, uh, I feel like are, are kind of the buttoned up, I'm going to do this right. Uh, you know, we're going to save everything. We've got a financial plan and, and whatnot. Um, because that's what our parents were doing or, we're, you know, our parents tried to set us up to do better than they were doing or, or whatnot. Um, and then like the, the back end of the millennials, I feel like is that YOLO experience where, uh, you know, I saw my parents work like crazy, save like crazy, and basically got nothing out of it. And so, you know, why bother with, with that as my experience, I'm just going to do what I want and, you know, the chips will fall where they're gonna. I think one of the things that, um, as we talk about more about discomfort, the topic of finance never came up in my home. Never, as I grew up, it was never a topic of discussion, right? It was never like, Hey, this is how you save. This is, you know, and so as I've realized that and I realized how little I know about money um, and how much I have to seek other people and ask and say, hey, you know, what, what is this thing I'm supposed to be saving for a college for my kid? Like, when should I be doing this? You know, and, and asking those questions. Um, one of the things that I've realized, and, and this goes into what you said earlier about Alex, about going to the extremes, is now I find it like super important to have these conversations with my kids. Um, so much so that, you know, and, and, and joking, like, this is like legit. I 
went to Alex and said, "Hey, man, what's a what's a good way for me to do this for my kids?" And uh, and Alex put together this awesome spreadsheet with like Spider Man and 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 you know catching a web of of you know interest rates. And it was just one of those things where I was like, "Man, you know." Um, how going to that opposite end of the spectrum right there, because I wasn't, you know, taught finances, how much more desire I have to kind of teach that to my kids so they don't have to have the same stumbling box that I did. Right. So when you say these two, two opposite end of the spectrum, like I, I joke because I'm, I'm, I'm still YouTubing and, and Googling my, my financial advice for mo- for the most part, because I, I didn't have this things, these things growing up. Right. I had an example of, Hey, check to check, you know, we, <laughs> we got what we got. And, and, and I never, I don't even, even if you knew what a savings account was really until I got older. So, yeah. Well, it's awesome that you're engaging with, with Kellen on that because a lot of people who grew up in a household where money wasn't discussed, just assume it's kind of taboo and they don't ask friends about it. They don't ask colleagues about it. They don't talk to their kids about it. That is one thing that's, that can, can carry generationally is like, let's not talk about money. And you know, one of the things that I, I follow the Financial Therapy Association, they put out like a monthly uh, uh, magazine. And and one of the things they talk about is a couple of years ago was like 90% of our beliefs around money happened before the age of 10. And you wow. can you can learn a lot about money and how it works and how to invest, but you can't necessarily undo those things unless you take time to take inventory of them and not just take inventory of them, but address them. And, you know, to encourage you, Mike, I mean, there, there are these money scripts that Kellen already has subconsciously. Like who knows what they are, to be honest. I mean, your guess is good as mine, but it is those money scripts become implanted in your financial DNA by experiences that happen in your like outward experiences that happen in your childhood and your young adulthood. So whatever that money scripts are that are floating around, they will be, you know, I kind of think of it as like a wet stamp, right? Just waiting, waiting to be like implanted on him. When you bring up the conversation of like savings and why you do it, how to do it in a healthy way, like that, that will be an experience that gets implanted on him and, and, makes sense for him, whatever that money script was, right? In a healthy way. Um, and it, it's kind of frightening to think about, you know, for the age of 10, you're like, I wasn't even planning on talking to my kids about money until they were like 12 or 14 or 16 or yeah. out of college. But yeah. you really should start early because it's a lot harder to undo it later. All right. So you, uh, you said you came bringing the activities. You want to, you want to run us through <laughs> some of these money scripts? <laughs> Yeah. So, so the Financial Therapy Association that I um, I follow, they put out a uh, one of the guy, uh, Doctor Klontz. He's one of their big publishers. He put he put out a basically four prong approach to different types of categories for money scripts. So. You, you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily like a, like a 100 on one category and a zero on the other, but there will be one category that you seem to fall more into. And, uh, you know, like the Enneagram where you're like a three bar two or whatever, or, you know, like that. So yeah. 
it's not unusual to have some overlap like John was just talking about, but for the most part, you'll probably notice what is most prevalent, what you agree with most. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read through them and I'm gonna ask you guys kind of kind of what your money scripts are. I'll I'll walk you through mine and then I'll ask you guys to do the same. So before you start, just for people that are listening, um, like, is, are they keeping score or just yes, no's? Yeah. Okay. Just listen and wait for your ears to be worked up by, yep, I resonate with that. Okay. So four core money beliefs. The first one is money status. So your self-worth is basically linked to your net worth. You value outward displays of wealth. So you like, like the feeling of I bought something and my friends, neighbors noticed it. Uh, they're more likely to spend too much and, and hide spending from their spouse and things like that. Uh, money worship. Money is the key to happiness and you can't really have enough. They're likely to put work above family. So that's different from money status, right? They're not necessarily spenders, but they do value accumulating lots and lots of dollars. Uh, money vigilance. So these people are alert and watchful of their money. They maybe don't go after the most high paying job, but they look at their budget like four times a week. And, you know, as soon as the transaction clears, they've categorized it and, you know, all those things, uh, you know, they, they don't like to, they don't like the idea of people receiving handouts. They think money is kind of needs to be from hard work. They're anxious about the future, which kind of in turn drives them to save more. They say one day I'll spend the money that I saved, but they never do. Right. So this is, this is a little bit of like the fire movement, right? I'm going to say I'm going to retire 40, but they never really retire. Right. They just keep saving. So money vigilance is three and four is money avoidance. Money is bad. I don't deserve this money. Um, they might look for ways to sabotage their wealth. Uh, by giving it away to friends and family, to charities. Um, uh, as you might imagine, a lot of people in helping professions, teachers, pastors, counselors, psychologists, doctors, they fall into this category, right? Because they're all, they, they like to, they want the attention not to be on them. They want, you know, to be giving and giving and giving and not receive anything for themselves. Um, so not to, not to, I know we got some some ex teachers here, not to pin teachers, but <laughs> into that category. So those are the four. Let me walk you through. Let me walk you through probably the most prevalent money script in my life, which happened, you know, obviously when I was growing up. But there, uh, when I was about twelve. My dad had a really successful business for, he had had a successful business for about a decade. The business fell apart. Um, you know, nothing really he could do about it. Um, we ended up coming very close to foreclosing on our house. It was a, it was a traumatic experience that happened. And I kind of, in retrospect, saw like reckless spending that was happening in my, in my household. And so the thing that was kind of going on in my mind is spending is kind of a dangerous slippery slope. Like if you start spending, you just like cannot get it under control. Right. And so it was almost like a hatred of spending, like people who spent lap what appeared to be lavishly. I was just like, you know, I, I don't get it. And it, it spilled over into my marriage. Right. Because 
we would like overspend for like one month. And as a financial planner, I'd project it forward like 30 years and be like, hey, <laughs> and, and Emily's like, it's one month. Like we can get back on track, you know? And so it, that became a very prevalent money script. And, and the dangerous part about all of these is that there is a very big element that's true, right? And that, that's why we can anchor to these. Like if, if they just made no sense at all, we wouldn't anchor to them and build a life and belief system around them. But there's a lot of things that's true. Like I, I can see people start spending, it gets worse and worse and worse, and they never recover. They go bankrupt. And like, if those are the examples I want to focus on, it can feed that money belief, right? But now. Uh, like anything, there, there's another side to it, right? Like car, cars are dangerous to drive, right? You can kill yourself when you get in a car, but they also get you from point A to point B, right? Both are both are true. Um, so, so for me, right, there's a couple things that the money vigilance is a huge one, right? Just obsession, uh, counting my dollars, making sure everything's accounted for, you know, making sure no, nothing walks away from me. Uh, Money avoidance uh, is starting to play a bigger role as I get further into my career. Like I'm like, you know, as my family made more money, things got bad. I don't want to let us get down a slippery slope. So like just the idea of having a lot of money, uh, to be quite honest, is a little worrisome. Uh, it's it's probably less so now because I've, you know, had these conversations and talked with it a little bit. And, Obviously, it's an open dialogue that my wife and I have, uh, which I think is imperative, but, but both of those show up. Um, so, yeah, now it's your guys' turn. What, what, you know, one or two money scripts resonate the most with you and which of these four or multiple of them do you feel like they fall into? I think for me, there, there was definitely some of the, the money vigilance. Um, and especially as I got later into my adult life, uh, because I'd made some, I, I was a, I was a spender when I first was in college and then out of college. And so the getting into the, the nominal debt that you can get into when you're in college or like your first year out of work, um, I think had sort of a, a scared straight effect on me, but probably too much. So where I then, you know, I built a spreadsheet of all spreadsheets and, you know, stuck with it. Um, but there was also, I think a little bit of, of money worship of, I don't want to end up again, like I did in childhood. And so, you know, this is the, this is the key to the kingdom. This is, this is going to be the source of my security. But then when you said the thing about, you know, people in sort of the, the help professions that resonated a little bit with, you know, I never felt like I, I never felt like I wanted to, and honestly, I felt like I never could chase wealth that that just wasn't going to happen. So little bits and pieces of all three, but I would say right now, most especially the money vigilant. So I I can share. Um, I kind of want to caveat though with two stories. Growing up, I grew up with my grandparents. And I remember the first year that I grew up with my, or I, I was living with my grandparents, I'd always been under the strict rule of one new pair of shoes, at the beginning of the school year, and those are your shoes for the whole year, right? That's that's your school year it's shoes. And um, I remember one year I bought some of those like uh, Adidas or the the Sambas, those indoor soccer shoes, and they didn't last me six months. 
right? And so here it comes midway through the school year, and I'm folding up notebook paper, shoving them in the bottom of my shoes to keep from my socks from getting wet, right? My grandmother goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm repairing my shoes. Like, this is, this is my one pair of shoes for the year. I'm making sure my socks don't get messed up. And she just couldn't believe it that I was, you know, putting notebook paper in my shoes. So she went and took me out and, and I bought, I remember my Fila Grant Hill sneakers. You know, it was like the greatest time ever. She bought me these shoes. Nice. Um, the second story, I remember growing up, uh, Tommy Hilfiger, uh, uh, like was like, everybody was wearing it. That's, that was the the brand that everybody had. Um, yeah. I went to the local swap meet and bought the, uh, the bootleg version of it. I think it was like Tommy Sport or something like that. And uh, I showed up to school, and I, I told the story before about uh, my school was was a pretty privileged school, so uh, it was pretty easily identifiable that I was not wearing true Tommy Hilfiger, right? And so um, I got made fun of. I got I went home, you know, cried a little bit, and uh, I did have one pair of Tommy jeans that we had bought like at a thrift store or something. But my grandmother took the tag off my jeans and sewed it in the back of this shirt. So that I could have like a, a, a legit Tommy Hilfiger, you know, tag in my shirt, right? Um, I never wore the shirt again, but looking back on it, I'm like, man, you know, my <laughs> my grandmother was trying to hook me up, right? Um, yeah. So listening to all four of those, I really couldn't figure out one that really stuck to me until I kind of put it in the perspective that um, it wasn't for other people that I cared about, like for them to be understand it, but it was for myself. And so I, mm-hmm. I, I chose money status and um, more so along the lines of, hey – my son's not going to be wearing, you know, the 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 knockoff, you know, whatever brand. He's going to be wearing the 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 Adidas, or he's going to be wearing the Nikes. And and so as I was kind of over like looking over these, I was kind of like, man, I, money status. As much as it's not so much about everybody else around the neighborhood, I could care less if somebody cares about you know what shoes my kids wearing. It's more for me. Like, hey, I I yeah. I resonate with that money status more just because I think of the the scripts that I've learned growing up, you know, so I, I yeah. would I would have to say money status was on was on my list. Yeah, thank thank you for saying that too because I feel like there's a tendency for, and I realize that I fall into this, but like you feel like oh someone who's money vigilant is going to be maybe like more respected because they're like keep, like keeping careful watch over everything, mm-hmm. but the reality is. There is so much dysfunction on all four of those oh, yeah. sides. There, yeah. there is yeah. an element of truth and there is an element of of falsehood, right? That right. needs to be uncovered. And so, yeah, you know, I, I, I could be watchful over my money, but then not using it in a way that is pleasing to God, is pleasing and, and brings actual life to my family and the community around us, right? Because I don't spend it. Right, right. And so there's, there's growth on either end of the spectrum. Yeah, I also thought it was funny how, how uncomfortable I thought money status, and that's probably why I had to share the two stories beforehand, though. <laughs> yeah, a little caveat. Yeah, a little caveat. Well, but it is true, and I, and I feel like probably, uh, you know, if you're on the opposite side of the spectrum from the money status, then you're going to feel like that's the, the real bad one, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, because unless like you've been talking about Alex, we're, we're taking the time to dig into it and actually, you know, understand where we're coming from. We're going to think we're right on the, on the way that we approach money. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I feel like there's, there's a, a spectrum to either side and, and somebody's going to be on the opposite side of me and they're obviously wrong. So, um, for me, actually, I think I, I, um, 
I kind of lined up a lot of, of what John was saying. I think there's definitely a strong um, money worship component uh, that, um, you know, income will uh, open doors or allow us to do things or, um, uh, you know, give us opportunities that, that we don't necessarily have. Um, you know, and I think, uh, some of that comes from, uh, growing up definitely. Um, you know, I, I come from a, a family of very hardworking people, um, that, uh, you know, had to work for everything that they had and, and put the time in and spend wisely and, and all that. Um, and so, uh, you know, seeing money as, uh, as kind of a, a solution to the life of toil, uh, sort of. Um, and then I felt like, um, I have a, a pretty strong tendency to actually waffle back and forth between the money vigilance and the money avoidance. Uh, cause, cause I've been the guy with the spreadsheets and the, like, you know, track every cent and make sure, you know, where everything is going and, and all that. Um, and then, uh, I think because of the money worship component, uh, if that starts to not work out and things are, are not shaping up the way that I thought they should shape up while I'm trying to keep that super tight control over everything, then it's just like, okay, we'll screw it. I'll just, you know, it'll be what it'll be and, and uh, you know, kind of walk away from the responsibility of uh, treating the money well. Yeah. Yeah. That can, that shows up uh, on either end, right? If like, if, we don't have the amount of dollars that we want coming in every month. There can be just as much a tendency to push it away. Right. I'm mm-hmm. just not, I'm just not going to engage with this at all and like deal with what is difficult. Yeah. yeah. Which is essentially like a grown up two year old temper tantrum. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to do and it's not working. So I'm just going to sit in the corner and cry. Yeah. Um, well, what I wanted to do was just finish with how, how do you engage with this, right? We've done it. I, I kind of put you guys on the spot. Um, but what is, a, what is a reasonable practice to go through and uncover some of this? And I think to, to start, you really have to go, why am I doing this, right? Like, for the most part, we feel like those money scripts have served us well. Right. Like we've we've written a narrative in our head. We've seen through this lens. This is protecting me. This is good. Yeah. And so why why engage with the other side? And um, on the podcast last week, when you guys were talking about this subject, the quote, I think John brought it up of the spiritual life is not what is it? Spiritual life is not suburban. It's frontier. Yeah. Right. And then, Mike, I this analogy was fantastic of your children watching television shows. Right. And like, why do they, why do they tune in every night to like their favorite shows? Cause it's predictable. They know like exactly what's going to happen. You know, I, I kind of think of it in the, in the term of, you know, in the lens of money, the, the predictable is the suburban, right? Like, you know, what's going to happen. The unpredictable is the frontier, right. Engaging with some of this. And so, if you want to engage with the spiritual life when it comes to money, you, you, you have to, right? Like this is not off limits. This has to be engaged with. This cannot be kept to yourself. Um, 
it's really imperative that you do. So I'm going to walk you guys through uh, the outline of, of the experience that Dr. Klotz takes people through on those four core money belief uh, sections. So the first thing he has you do is uh, just take out a piece of paper and he says, uh, hold a pencil in your non-dominant hand. I don't understand everything that goes into this. Teachers might know this more, but he says it helps engage the memory part of your brain. You kind of turn off the other part. Uh, and and also, whatever you're about to draw is going to look ridiculous, so you're going to be with whatever you're about to draw down. Like, it just does not matter anymore. And in chronological order, as best you can remember, start to draw memories, right? So not, not necessarily write down specific memories. If, if you choose to go that route, fine. I think that's, that's adequate. But he says draw them, right? So um, if you kind of imagine like spending being worthless, imagine like a big, you know, draw a wheelbarrow with cash and it's burning, right? So you're, you're kind of drawing an image and you're going chronologically through different memories that you had in your childhood, right? So for me, if, you know, the foreclosure of the house was a big thing. Maybe I draw a house on fire, whatever, cash pouring out the sides. I don't know. Uh, so you, you go through this process. You write down as many big ones as you can remember. And then you go back through and you write a plus or a minus by each memory. So they, these do not have to be all negative, right? These can be good financial experiences that you had. Um, when you're done, you're supposed to take the three most positive and the three most negative, right? And then, so, so you're conceivably doing, you know, a dozen or more memories, right? This is going to take a little bit of time. Out of the three most positive and three negative, what lessons did you learn? Mm. So the moral of my story is X, Y, Z. And try to, try to write a one sentence. So all of this means blank, right? And that is a pretty good idea kind of of what your core money script is, right? And maybe you have two or three, right? Doesn't have to necessarily be one, but that's kind of it. And, and then engage with it, right? Bring your community into this process. Absolutely bring your spouse into it so that they can speak into it. And don't just like move past this, right? Um, allow God to speak in and in, invite himself into some of those memories and begin to speak truth over those, right? Um, there was an element of truth in the money script and there was an element that, that was false. And we need to know what that is so that we can have a, a clear picture of everything that's going on and become more well-balanced. Um, so, yeah, give it a shot. Let us know how it goes. <laughs> Yeah, that's real good, Alex. Thank you. And um, for anybody that's listening, you know, go back and, and play that a couple of times because, uh, you know, if you're like me, I picked up a pen and I was like, okay, let's go. And I was like, this, <laughs> this sounds like is, is going to be a little bit of a bigger deal than uh, than we've got time for on the podcast. So, um, so go back and take your time through that exercise, uh, you know, and like Alex said, use it to open up these conversations about what your beliefs are. Um, not surprisingly, cause it's happening in this, uh, series, but it's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, but we're, you know, we're talking about, 
uh, how do we approach those things well? Uh, and so in this area of finances, understanding what those money scripts are and, and uh, how that translates into your financial behavior is a big part of demystifying that uh, uncomfortable place that shows up when we start to talk about money. Before you go, we just wanted to take a quick minute to thank you for being a part of the conversation and taking on this journey with us. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and throw us a like or write a review. All of that helps other people find our show. If you're looking for more, head over to our website, strong-towers.com, and sign up to receive notifications whenever we release new content. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at strong underscore towers. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, We Are Strong Towers to keep the conversation going throughout the week. If you want to support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash strongtowers for your chance to score some Strong Tower swag and get access to exclusive content. We appreciate y'all, and we'll see you back here real soon.